you want to make a pivot, whether you decide you want to get a full-time employment or become an entrepreneur, go ahead and make or build or write what it is you're trying to sell and show it to people. Let's go. Hey, everybody, Ryan Roten here, and this is the Brand New You Podcast, where we explore how to use personal branding and social media to impact your career. No need to look any further. You found the podcast dedicated to helping you create a brand new you. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to the Brand New You Show. I'm Ryan, your host, and today we welcome to the show Linda Spiegel, founder of Rising Star Resumes. Linda is a human resources and communications professional with over 14 years of experience in sourcing, recruiting, and hiring top talent in a variety of industries. At Rising Star Resumes, Linda helps her clients develop their professional brand in order to get noticed by headhunters and hiring managers. In her role as a career coach, Linda works with mid-career professionals who often are seeking to change careers from one field to another. And because of this, she has developed some unique insights, thoughts, and strategies around how to make a successful career pivot. So today, we're going to have a straightforward discussion about the realities and unvarnished truths of what it takes to really make a career pivot. Linda, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Well, you are welcome. Um, I'm excited about this topic, actually, because it seems to be growing in importance, especially if you start to look at surveys by companies like PricewaterhouseCoopers, who talk about, uh, you know, two out of five people by the year, the early 2020s will be freelancers or working in some type of contract role. And I think helping people understand how to make those types of career pivots and and even the career pivots within their own company is very important. So I'm very excited to have you on and talk about this today. Thank you. I agree. It's it's really a trend among mid-career professionals, baby boomers in particular, although millennials as well also experience the desire to change what they're doing. Well, I think it's going to be a fun discussion, but before we get into it, I have the first fun question of the show. And since you've listened before, you know this one's coming. If you could vacation... In only one place for the rest of your vacation days, where would you go? I am on the Amalfi Coast of Italy, Ryan. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> any any place, any city or area in particular or just anywhere along the coast? Anywhere along the coast. Okay. <laughs> I've not been there. I have been to Italy uh, and I did not get to go there, but I have heard from everyone who's gone that it's just absolutely beautiful. It's magical and there's everything wonderful about the entire country of Italy. The food is fantastic and the men love women ages 8 to 80. We're all <laughs> que bella. <laughs> Okay, so while we're on the Amalfi Coast, which book are you currently reading or which one would you take with you? Not one that I'm currently reading, but I'm going to bring The Namesake by Jhumpa Lahiri. I'm totally obsessed with her writing. She um, writes about the experience of Bengalis who have come to the United States, and it really resonates, you know, how uh, an immigrant population, and this is just a representative group, try to find themselves as Americans without losing their cultural identity. And she writes with such a poignancy that I need one of her books by my side all the time. And that was my favorite. Okay. And it was called The Namesake. The Namesake. And actually, it was turned into a film several years ago. So all of you who want, you know, it's a three boxes of hanky movie, but <laughs> go rent it on Netflix. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm not ready to quite get my Kleenex out yet. 
But okay, <laughs> <laughs> let's. But maybe I will after we talk about the realities and some of these unvarnished truths when it when it comes to actually making a career pivot, uh, which we're going to talk about today. And I know you yourself have made a career pivot, you know, throughout your career. And I want to talk about that. But before we even do that, I'd like for you to take just a minute and explain so we ground everybody who's listening today uh, on this with the same definition. What what is your definition of a career pivot? Okay, good question. So a career pivot is when you turn around, when you pivot and say, I no longer want to be a marketing executive, I want to teach, or I no longer want to teach, I want to become an attorney. It's it's turning around and being something somewhat radically different. Okay. And so now you went through a career pivot yourself. So could you kind of walk us through, you know, what, what were you doing before and, and what were you, and, you know, how did you get to where you're at? And then we'll talk about some of the, you know, steps and obstacles that you faced as we go through the rest of the questions. But I'm curious, just so everybody understands, you, you started out as, as doing one thing and now you're doing something completely different. Can you kind of walk us through that? Sure. So, um... I, I, I'm going to deal with, you know, the last 20 years, um, because I've, I've not pivoted. I've zigzagged. Um, <laughs> but, but basically I was working for, um, an equity compensation outsourcing firm doing their communications. But equity compensation is a human res, it's a benefit. So all of my clients were human resources people. So that's sort of the backwards way I got into HR. And, really started to, was I was writing so much about HR benefits that I just started uh, practicing HR. And I was an HR professional for 15 years. Um, then I got, my company was acquired and there was no longer, you know, the new, co- the new corporation, there was no place for me. I was out of a job for the first time in all, in I think it was 11 years. I very quickly found another job. It was a contract position. Very quickly uh, found another job after that for a couple of years. And then I found myself 60 years old, yet another corporate takeover and another unemployment. And all of a sudden, I wasn't getting calls from headhunters anymore. And all of a sudden, I would go on job interviews and I'd get to the second or third round, but I wasn't getting any offers. And... You know, the blunt truth was came from my then 30-year-old son who said, Mom, nobody's hiring their mother, and everybody who's doing the hiring is my age, which was not exactly 100% correct, but there was enough truth in it. And after six months of going on job interviews in my 60s, I said, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. I have all this skill and knowledge. I know all about... HR and recruiting, I'm going to turn the tables and I'm going to help people because I know what goes on in the mind of the HR hiring manager or the recruiter so I can help people who are looking for jobs. So that was my pivot. It was almost almost a response to ageism. Your pivot took you from, from that position to now you run a company called Rising Star Resumes, where you help clients get noticed in the job search process. But you also, uh, in the article that I read and kind of what brought me and you together, you also talk about how you've started to see a kind of rise, if you will, in the number of people who are coming to you to talk about how do you make a career pivot. So before we get into some of those steps, what are what are just some of the common reasons that you hear from your clients for wanting to make a career pivot? Oh, some of the 
reasons are, you know, I'm no longer happy doing what I'm doing. It's not fulfilling anymore. Other reasons are um, I'm not making the kind of money I wanted to make. I want to try something else. Um, that's Those are really the reasons or, or just kind of I'm stuck. I don't know what I want to do. But mostly it's, you know... I, with the younger people, the millennials, are, it's kind of, you know, I fell into this one job category based on my first job after college, and now I've been sort of pigeonholed in that category. I want to get out of it. With mid-career people, it's it's more, I would need a change. I need something to motivate me. I think it's especially what you just uh, what you said. Even though you related it to millennials, I think it's especially true with mid career folks who've been in the same industry or maybe the same field for a really long time, and they feel like they're pigeonholed or maybe even stuck with say golden handcuffs. Yes, you're absolutely right. You know, it's funny. So I'm an HR person, and you think, well, every industry needs an HR person, right? I should be able to move from financial services to to media, to, you know, I should be able to go anywhere. And it's, I would go on job interviews and they'd say, oh, the recruiter would say to me, well, you know, you've got all those years in financial services, Linda. Our client is in media. I said, well, the last time I looked, the laws about employment were the same. Right, right. <laughs> you know, but you get pigeonholed. It's really difficult to get out of that. So you're correct. Um, mid-career people it's more difficult to make a career pivot because of that. Millennials have an easier time, and I would say, take that even down to Generation Z. The 20-somethings have the easiest time. Once you're in your 30s, it gets more difficult, and once you're in your 40s, you know, now we're dealing with some of the challenges that I wanted to address and that I, I spoke to in the article I think you're referring to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So let's go ahead and talk about that. What are some of the obstacles that people will face in and, you know, those those people in their 30s or in their 40s, what are, what are they going to face as they begin to think or transition or, you know, start that move to make some type of pivot? Okay, well, here's here's the most obvious one. So if you're making a pivot, a lot of times, because you don't have the experience, you're going to have to go in on a more entry level or beginner level. Now you're competing for that job with recent college graduates. So there's a sense of inappropriateness. Employers are reluctant to hire somebody who is considerably older for an entry level position. And uh, Brian, I'm not saying it doesn't happen because it does, but generally speaking, it doesn't. So if you're age inappropriate for the position, you're likely not going to get it. The other thing is if you're a mid-career person and you are, let's say you can't, you, you do get through to a recruiter or a hiring manager who is willing to consider you even though you're considerably older, can you afford to live on an entry-level salary? And for most people, the answer is no. So those are two obstacles. And, and I will, you know, I'm going to give you an example, which, and this is really what inspired me to write that piece about career pivoting. So I had a client who was an IT, you know, a mid-level manager in IT at one of the big New York investment banking firms, and his entire department moved out of New York City, and he couldn't go. He had a family and a mortgage and kids in school. He couldn't pick up and follow his job. So now he's looking for another job. And he said to me, you know, by the way, Linda, I just got my MBA online and I want to pivot into, I want to become a financial analyst. 
so write my resume as, you know, and say that I'm a financial analyst. And I said to him, but you're not. And he said, oh, but I've taken all these courses. And I said, you have trained, you know, you have uh, an MBA, but you have never been a financial analyst. So your resume is going to wind up on the desk at an investment banking firm in, you know, looking for an entry-level financial analyst. And they're going to see a 44-year-old person for an entry-level job. It's not going to happen. So he said, are you sure? And I said, well, I'm not sure. I'm, you know, I, I can't tell you it will never happen, but let's do this. I have a network of recruiters um, who I've amassed on LinkedIn and on Twitter, whom I follow and who follow me, and I survey these people regularly. They're the people my clients need to reach, so I need to know what they're thinking as well. So I sent out the question to three of uh, these recruiters in financial services and said, could you place this person? And they said, no, you know. So I went back to him and I said, okay, it's not just my opinion. It's the opinion of the very people you need to get behind you and to advocate for you. And if they're telling me that they can't go to their clients and say, you know, here's a great candidate for this somewhat entry-level financial analyst position, what good is it? He said, oh, my goodness, what do I do? You know, he was filled with despair. So I said, well, don't, don't, don't do that. Here's, here's what I suggest you do. Look for a job doing what you've been doing, where you have traction, where you're known, where you have a skill set. And that's going to be at a large investment banking firm in the IT department. Once you're there, network with the people in risk management, in you know, in one of the financial areas of the firm. And once they get to know you and you become a colleague, it's much, much easier to pivot internally when you're a known quantity. So a lot of the advice that I hear, and I really take exception to it, coaches say to people, well, be positive and network like crazy, which, by the way, is extremely important. But talk about your skills and what you can do. And that's great. But when you're applying internally, they know that it's a matter of your skill set. They know you already know the culture. You're already part of the company. And they'll be much more willing to let you come in on a, on a higher than entry level position because they, you're a known quantity. They know you can learn and you're already there. We've referenced it a couple of times, so I want to bring it back up. But the article that we're referring to, you wrote and published on talent culture. It's called Preparing for a Career Pivot. I will link to that article in the show notes um, so everybody can have a, you know, go read it for themselves. You said, you said a few things in there that were interesting to me. One was I heard I heard you say, but not say directly, that you really can't make a pivot overnight. It's going to take some time. And then also you need to network like crazy. So I have made a, a career pivot in my career as well, uh, which is why this kind of topic is very important to me. And what I find very interesting, I, I went from 15 years in operations, including supply chain management, you know, even starting out as, a, as an hourly worker on the floor. And I pivoted uh, to the business side into product management, but I didn't do that overnight. It took time to get there. And one of the keys for me anyway, was uh, my my ability to be able to network inside my own company. And I did just what you suggested with the financial analyst, which was I made my pivot within a company. How do you talk to or what do you suggest to people who are looking to to pivot in a direction that they're, they're not going to be able to do that within their own company? They're going to have to go a different route. How is your advice different for them? The advice 
case centers entirely on a robust network because I believe statistics are running, and I've heard you reference this on other podcasts, and I think it's absolutely correct, 75% of all jobs, and that was back in 2011, I think it's probably a higher percentage now, are filled through networking. So if you're making a pivot and your resume is going through the applicant tracking system software and all that software reads is something completely irrelevant, no one's going to see your resume. And you can't reinvent your past. You know, resumes have to be excruciatingly truthful. So you really need your network. You need somebody to go to the person at the company that you aspire to work at and the field you aspire to work in and say, I know this person and I know you have this opening and I really want you to talk to Joe. And then you then you go in there and you make your case. You talk about the courses you've taken. You talk about your passion for what you're doing. You make your case. But if you want to get noticed, you must rely on your network. Okay. How, how about um, taking positions such as uh, internships or apprenticeships or maybe even volunteering at a nonprofit as different ways to be able to get some experience? around the direction that you want to pivot to? is that Are those viable options as well? Those are excellent options. And, and I encourage anyone who can afford to do it to do exactly that. But if you're the primary breadwinner in your household, how are you going to afford to be an unpaid intern or volunteer? You know, if you are someone's financial dependent or if your finances are such that you can do that, Excellent. And by the way, if you're unemployed, spending your time volunteering goes on your resume. It, no, you do not have to say that you were unpaid. It's experience on your resume. So when, and this is a little bit of a digression, but when people are unemployed and they have a gap, which recruiters hate, you simply fill in that gap with legitimate volunteering or internships. You just don't have to tell anyone you weren't paid. It will come up when they do a, uh, a background check on you, but you haven't lied. Right. Well, I can also say that it, it probably would be perceived as, you know, you weren't just sitting around sending out resumes. You were actively trying to grow yourself professionally and maybe even personally as well. Would that, that would seem to be a benefit too. Is, is that correct? It, absolutely. The last thing that any recruiter wants to see is, you know, is somebody saying, well, I, I, I was unemployed for a year and a half. And I, when I've had people, you know, there was, there was a terrible recession not that long ago. And I interviewed plenty of fantastic candidates. And when they said to me, well, since I've been unemployed, I've been freelancing. Fine. I've been taking courses fine. But, you know, if you were just sitting around staring at job boards and applying, you know, randomly to every position within a 30-mile radius, not so fine. I mean, we've kind of talked a little bit about this, but I want to be a little bit more succinct. If I'm in marketing and I want to become, say, a social media uh, community manager, that's a pretty big pivot. How does somebody begin to prepare for something like that? Well, if that's what you want to do, you're already engaged in social media. So you already have the background. So start using social media. Get on Twitter and start following influencers and people whom you hope to attract. Some of them, a very small percentage of them, will follow you back. And once they follow you back, you can direct message them. And even if they don't follow you back, so you can't direct message them, you can go on their website, you can try to get some contact information, and you engage. You use social media like LinkedIn, and you join 
groups and you leave comments. So you could you could leave a comment on a post with a major influencer or someone who works at this company where you hope to become a social media community manager and you just start commenting. And people notice that you engage. Social media is all about engagement. So engage with the people you hope to work with and get in touch with them and you have forged a personal bond, which by the way will work in almost any field where you're trying to pivot. Can I give an example of of a client of mine for whom this just worked? Yeah, absolutely. Please do. Yeah, so uh, this was a a person whom I met um, on LinkedIn. I think he lives out in the Pacific Northwest and I'm in New York City. And he was commenting, um, he comments on a lot of the articles I write on LinkedIn. And he wanted to make a career pivot. He was, he wanted to get into geology. I don't remember exactly what he was doing before, but somewhat like your own background, he was in supply chain management, some sort of operational position in a manufacturing company. He wanted to, he wanted to be outdoors. He wanted to be a geologist. And he had all the coursework. I mean, he went back to school for all of that. But how did he get employed? He started just leaving messages on all of my posts and several other people's posts. And through one of my contacts who had left some comments on my post, he responded to that person's post. And that person is the professor of geology at a school in Colorado. Uh Uh-huh who happened to know people in Portland where this particular client of mine lived, who once he saw that this was an intelligent, engaged person, got him connected and got him a job. And if that sounds like a long, winding road, it is, but it actually only took three months. Wow, that's not bad. How, so three months seems pretty quick. How, how long do you think a typical pivot would take? You can't go into it with a short-term attitude, I wouldn't think. You can't go into anything in this digital age um, with a short term attitude. Networking is a lifestyle. It's a skill, as one of your previous guests noted. It's it's a skill you develop. So the answer to your question is how long it will take depends entirely on the level of preparation you need. So if I want to become an attorney, obviously built into that time frame is the amount of time it will take for me to get a law degree. If it, if it doesn't, if it simply requires me picking up some skills that I could take through courses, it's the networking itself that is going to take the time. So you don't instantly network with people and ask them for a favor. In fact, that happens to me on a daily basis. People read my posts on LinkedIn and they'll respond and say, so Linda, by the way, um, here's my profile and resume. What do you think I should do to make it better? Now, I don't know you and I'm happy to take a look, but this is how I make my living. So you're asking me to do something for you for free and I don't know you. So what I do because it's the right thing to do, I look at the person's profile and and resume and I offer some brief tips, but I'm turned off because you're asking me for a favor and we don't really know each other. Networking isn't about getting as many people in your contact list as possible and then exploiting it. It's about developing relationships. So I have relationships with about five to 10 people, all of whom I only know through LinkedIn, but we promote each other's posts. We comment on each other's writing. 
we do what we can to help one another without an agenda, without any expectation of return. And if any of us do wind up needing something, the others will definitely respond, as was the case with this client um, who wanted to become a geologist. That takes time to build that kind of camaraderie and collegial relationship. So can I give you an exact time frame? I think you know when it's the right time. And as long as you begin your networking process with the idea that you're there to do for others and not with what can I get out of this for myself, you're going to be fine. Yeah, I, um, I'm reminded as you were speaking there, I'm reminded of a, a comment that Mark Babbitt made. I had him on the podcast a few oh, yeah, episodes that was a great one. Yeah. ago where he referred to the people that you were talking about as ask holes. Uh, so ASK, uh, I can still maintain my clean rating, uh, you know, but basically the same thing. They come up to you the very first time they, they see you and they're asking you for something. Right. And social media, I think the big thing for social media that people need to consider, at least what I'm learning as I talk to more and more people is that you need to approach it with an abundance mindset, meaning give, give, give first and never expect anything in return. And what I've seen happen is the more you give, the more people will want to help you at some point in the future when you need it. Absolutely. I mean, I started out with, um, there was there was a person who, I think a very close networking contact now, I just started saying, you know, this is a great post and promoting it on my own feed with, you know, a little caption saying, read what Bob has written about the job search, you know, couldn't have said it better myself. And he wrote back to me on LinkedIn and said, you know, you're being really generous. Thank you so much. He said, consider you're helping the competition. And I said, you know, there are billions of people in the world and all of the ones who are looking for jobs or her professionals are on LinkedIn. I think there are enough people for, to go around. I don't consider you competition. I consider you a colleague. And that's the attitude. Right. I just came back from a, a conference this past weekend. And one of the things that strikes me and continues to strike me whenever I go to the conferences in the internet marketing, internet realm is how willing people who are in the exact same space are to help each other out. It's wonderful. Yeah. And and all you have to do is start talking and ask and you will find more help and more connections than what I think you could possibly imagine when you first start. That that's absolutely true. I think people most people are inherently very willing and happy to help. So I want I want to talk a little bit about people's hesitancy to approach um, second or third degree contacts on LinkedIn. You know, I don't know this person. How can I ask them for help? You know, because nobody has trouble saying to their friend, hey, do me a favor. You know somebody at this company. Could you get my resume in front of the hiring manager? Most of us are fine with doing that. But many people are very uh, reluctant to approach someone they don't know. It's, it's, it's a second or third generation contact. And what you need to realize is, yeah, there are people who are going to be um, what you just said, they're non-cooperative and are going to ignore you. But most people want to be helpful. They may say, I'd like to talk to you first, which is completely reasonable and, and legitimate thing to ask. But the other thing to remember is uh, at almost every company I can think of, if an employee of that company brings in a candidate and that candidate gets hired, the employee who referred you gets a, some sort of financial reward. So let's not forget that there's a sort of baked-in incentive for, for total strangers to help you. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's very true. 
Uh, I know I know the company I work for, they do that as well. Sure, sure. And, and as an HR director, I put it in place because that's another thing just from an HR perspective. Companies would much rather hire people whom employees have referred. They stay longer, they're more engaged, and they come in knowing more about the company because their friend is happy working there. Otherwise, they wouldn't have recommended them. So it builds the employer brand, and it's win-win for everybody. What advice do you give for people who, you know, if we just look at the resume itself and they, you know, they're going to apply for a, a pivoting position, what, did, what, what advice or how do, we, how do you work with people to be able to adapt their resume so that it's more appealing to, say, the HR or the hiring managers who will see it first? Okay, well, rule of thumb for every resume is grab attention at the very top because, again, a, a well-known fact is that resumes get three to six seconds consideration before the person reading it decides to read it further or to just hit the delete button. So right at the very top, you have to make your case. Um, If you're making a career pivot, and I want to also emphasize you have to be completely truthful about the jobs you've had and the positions you've had and the times you worked there. At the very top, you can just talk about yourself and really just say, you know, after five years in as in marketing, I have prepared myself to transition into a role in social media community management. And then you explain very briefly why. So now my attention is grabbed. My attention might be grabbed and I might say, who are you kidding? No. And I might delete it. But, you know, if you can make that compelling case for yourself and the person reads it, at the very least, you might get called in for an interview. The resume gets you in the door and the interview makes the sale. How do you handle the question that, that inevitably people are going to ask during that is, you know, so what makes you think you want to, you know, why did you think you want to do this job instead of what you've been doing for the last 20 years? How do you coach people to answer that question? Honestly, you know, give the reason. Um, so maybe you've been working in a position that doesn't afford you an opportunity to engage with clients and you just love being of help and and serving clients and you're really all about improving client satisfaction, but your current field that you're in doesn't afford you that. Or maybe you're not challenged enough. Just tell the truth. Why why do you want to do it? I, I would say that if the reason you want to make the pivot is because you want to make way more money, that's not a good reason. <laughs> It's actually not it's actually a terrible thing to say, but it's also not a good reason for you to do it. Is it is it a fair statement to say that for most mid-career professionals, if they really want to make a career pivot, they should be prepared to take less salary than what they're making today? You know, that's a very very um fraught question. <laughs> okay. Should they be prepared? Absolutely, but Here's the thing. Employers love to ask you about your salary history. And they do that because they want to peg your compensation as to what you've been making. Now, if you're, if, if I come in there and say, oh, well, my, you know, I, I was making a hundred thousand a year. And they say, well, this position only pays 75. And you say, oh, that's fine with me. I'm really interested in the opportunity. I would say 60% of the people who hear that are going to say, yeah, but the minute you get something for more money, you know, you're going to be out of here. You're just taking this as a temporary step because you're unemployed or you're taking it because you just want to get some experience doing what this job 
that you're pivoting to. And as soon as you can make, you know, 25000 less is, is, is significant. So people, you know, most employers are going to be a little leery about hiring somebody at a, at a much lower salary. Should you be prepared for it? Yes. Is it realistic that someone's going to hire you for considerably less money? No. I, but I just want to say one thing. I feel like I'm being incredibly negative, and I just want to, I want to correct that perception right now. When I work with my clients, I believe very strongly in giving them a very realistic picture of the challenges they face, not so they can say, oh, all right, I give up, but more so that they can frame how they respond to it. And sometimes the appropriate response is to say, you know what, this pivot isn't realistic. But many times it can be managed. So I don't want to make it sound as if I'm just presenting all the negatives. I just want people to understand what the realities are. Once you face realities, you can deal with them. And that, and that's one of the reasons that I, that your article appealed to me, to be honest, is that, you know, you're giving us the unvarnished truth, stealing a word from your article, of, of what it actually takes to make a career pivot and what people will f- experience. It's not necessarily something that you can, you know, we already established you can't do it overnight. It's going to take time. You're going to need to build a network and you're going to run into some of these perceptions. And what I like what you did in your article and what we've talked about so far today is you're letting people know that it's going to happen. And because they know it's going to happen, they have an opportunity to prepare themselves better for it. Exactly. So I got one, I got one last uh, question, I think, and then we'll start to wrap things up. Let's, let's talk about the career pivoter who has, has reached a point in their career where they say, you know what? I'm, I'm just not sure. I want to move to this new area, but I'm not sure that I want to work for a, another company to do that. And they, they feel that freelancing or entrepreneurialism entrepreneurialism, if that's a word, I'm going to use it anyway, you know, might be an option for them. Is it easier today for people to go that route than say it was 10 years ago? Um, I don't know if it was difficult 10 years ago, but I think it's not, it's certainly not difficult now. I think um, the internet and social media has made freelancing slash entrepreneurship so much, e- so easy. Um, for me, I, I actually turned Rising Star Resume into a profitable business in under a year. And I attribute that entirely to the fact that I had zero marketing expenses. I, I shouldn't say that I did have to spend money to build a website. But my my network connection friend did it for me, so it didn't cost very much. Um, and I give a shout out to Dave Liao at Off Peak Designs for that. He does a great job. But yeah, I, I didn't spend any money on marketing myself because of the internet and because uh, I understood search engine optimization. So I get plenty of clients just from an organic Google search. For career pivoters, whether going into a corporation or going out on their own, how important or is it important, do you think, for them to have some type of presence online, whether it's a website or something else, where they can demonstrate the expertise that they're gaining either through blog posts, uh, you know, or actually, you know, videos or whatever, but just some place where they can point people to, to say, look, I may not have a lot of experience, but here's what I've been doing. It's critical. It's absolutely critical. So when I've hired people, um, I was, I, I remember looking vainly through the city of New York, um, about five years ago for UI UX designers. There were very few of them because everybody needed someone 
to put their software, you know, make it accessible for mobile devices. So I I put the job posting on LinkedIn, and everybody, even complete beginners, sent me links to their website so I could see their work. And and that told me everything I needed to know. I didn't care if the person had tons of experience. I was seeing visual proof that this person could or could not do what I needed. So I would say that that for anyone who's considering doing this, you absolutely must have an online presence to establish what you do. And, and that's just another thing. If you want to make a pivot, whether you decide you want to get a full-time employment or become an entrepreneur, go ahead and make or build or write what it is you're trying to sell and show it to people. So back in the early, early days of the internet, when I, when I was looking for, you know, uh, my first job back after being a mom and a teacher, I called up companies and I got their annual report and I rewrote the annual report. And then I would get in touch with the CFO or the investor relations person at that company and say, by the way, here's what I could do for you. A good way to demonstrate your expertise in the area. Exactly. So in nowadays, in, in when everyone has access to build a website or to put their um, go on Pinterest or, or, or Instagram and put visual proof of what you can do online, there's really no reason not to. You will be found. Reminds me of a conversation I had with Carl Hughes earlier. He looks for experience over education. And that's not to downplay education. But when you look at the mid-career professional, not everybody's in a position to go back and get an MBA or some type of advanced degree. But everybody is in a position to be able to demonstrate their skills and expertise online. At least I think they are. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think it was back in the late 1990s, I got a call from um, one of those very, very prestigious um, consulting firms that shall remain nameless, and their headhunter came to me. I went in there and they said, well, Mrs. Spiegel, we just wanted you to know we only hire from the Ivy League. And I said, well, I'm not an Ivy Leaguer. I went to the University of Rochester and proud of it. You know, and they said, well, we know that. But given all your years of experience in human resources communications, we thought you might make a valuable member of the team. So that's your answer right there. I didn't have the education they were looking for or at least the brand name education they were looking for, but I had the years of experience. So you're absolutely right. You Not everyone can go to school, but you learn things on the job. And, and that's the thing about resumes. People love to just talk in general terms about what their skills are, and you need to demonstrate it. So you don't say, you know, I, uh, I'm a team builder, a relationship maker. You say, I've developed teams by doing X. So you, you just, you know, speak specifically to what you've done and demonstrate your experience. Don't just talk about it. Touching on your comment there, I think this might be a good place to wrap up here is that you said learn on the job. So I want to challenge the listeners today to do some just-in-time learning. And I would like for them to not only read the article that you have uh, published, which again, I'll link to in the show notes, but I, I would challenge them to reach out to you and do some just-in-time learning on <laughs> on their own. So if there are listeners who want to do that, what is the best way for them to get in touch with you? The best way is through email. And my email address is Linda, L-Y-N-D-A, at risingstarresumes.com. 
www.thepowerhouse.net. Okay. And do you have any final thoughts or tips or words of wisdom that you would like to pass on to anybody that's listening today as it relates to either resume writing or making that career pivot? Uh, yes, I think uh, continue to listen to Ryan's podcast because every guest <laughs> he has had has taught me something. Well, thank you. And will teach you as well. And the other bit of advice I would give is before you do decide to work with a career coach or a resume writer, and there are thousands and of those thousands, hundreds of them are great. Ask yourself, ask that person how much experience they've had on the other side of the desk. So if you're getting advice from someone who has never actually done any hiring or read resumes to hire people, consider that. Okay. Good advice. Linda, I have completely enjoyed our conversation. I, again, I think this is a very, very important topic that people need to learn more about. Lots of people are kind of sitting on the sidelines thinking, I think I might want to move over to here. Uh, but because of you, I think they now have some sound advice to be able to go out and start to make those moves as long as they take that first step and get started. So thank you very much for your time and sharing your expertise with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me, Ryan. It's been a real pleasure. Have you reached that point in your career where your job no longer fulfills you? Do you feel stuck, but you have no idea what to do next? Maybe you've told yourself it's time to move on from your current company, but then you review your benefits and compensation package and decide you really need to stay. The golden handcuffs are clearly in place. The good news is, as Linda tells us, you can break free from the golden handcuffs. You can make a pivot. You can change your career, but it's not going to happen overnight, and it won't happen without effort on your part. As Linda explained, maybe your pivot needs to start internally at your current company. You can start simply by talking to the people in the department where you want to work. Begin to build a rapport with the other teammates and the manager in that department. And then use those relationships to help you make the move into the new department. For those of you looking to pivot outside of your company, the road will be a little more challenging and will require you to, as Linda said, network like crazy. You will need to demonstrate your expertise by getting the word out there for the world to see. Linda, thank you for demonstrating your expertise with us today. I know your tips and advice will help many of the listeners start down the path of their own career pivot. You can find the show notes and the link to the article Linda and I referred to throughout the podcast over on the blog at ryanroden.com forward slash Linda Spiegel. Once again, I want to say thank you to all the listeners. You really do keep me motivated and excited to continue bringing you valuable shows that I know will help impact your career. And speaking of impacting your career, the best way for you to demonstrate your new skills to others in this digital first age is by having your own website to point people to. If you've ever considered having your own site or you would just like to learn more, head on over to ryanroten.com forward slash blog setup. There you'll find a step-by-step -step video tutorial that will walk you through exactly how to start your own website so you can begin demonstrating your expertise to the world in less than five minutes. That's all the time we have left for today. Remember, a career pivot is possible, but only if you put in the required effort. So until next week, I've been Ryan, and I'm out. This week's show was edited and produced by Ryan Roten, and the intro and outro music is Pulse by Soundroad. 